1: And what's up? Welcome in. GC Live. Wes Mitchell here. Chris Clark. Thursday episode of the show. Got a great show lined up for you here today. Of course, uh, as we try to do every single week, we try to get you somebody on from uh, basically a, a media member or sometimes even the head coach from South Carolina's upcoming opponent. We've managed to do that again this week. Uh, not Josh Heupel, but we will have Austin Price from com who will be joining us actually here in about nine minutes. So Austin has been on the show, I guess, once or twice, maybe. I know we had him on last year leading into the game, and uh, Austin has been uh, kind enough to join us here today as well. So Austin will be on. He'll talk some ball and tell us a little bit about the volunteers. As always, this show is brought to you by our good friend Clint Hammond, and by request from everyone, we have an updated picture of Clint looking, uh, looking excellent in what has got to be a BP Skinner suit. I'm only going to assume, um, of course, uh, best suits in Columbia. Clint Hammond, of course, you're a branch manager of the Columbia Mortgage Network. 71597 is the NMLS number C Hammond. That's the letter C Hammond at mortgage is his email address, and eight zero three five seven six four four five zero 4450 is the phone number. As always, uh, Clint is our presenting sponsor and if you're in the market for a new home or maybe you just want to refinance, give Clint a shout. 803-771-6933. What's up to everybody already in the chat? Hope y'all are doing well. Uh, See our usual suspects already hanging out, uh, checking in on everybody. Hope everybody's doing well. Um, Craig pointing out that Hendon Hooker is fifth nationally in passing efficiency. He has done a really good job for them, and uh, we're going to talk to Austin obviously about him and, and several aspects of their, uh, you know, their roster, their squad, however you want to say it. But, um, dude, Hendon uh, Hooker, you know, this is a situation where he was not their starter. Actually, Joe Milton, transfer from Michigan, someone Chris and I are very familiar with. Uh, South Carolina recruited him a bit out of high school. Big kid, big armed kid. He was their initial starter. All, you know, he's a transfer. Hooker is a transfer from Virginia Tech. You know, I, I always thought watching Hooker at VT that there, there was something there, like that he was a so, had solid ability if he could put it all together. And, uh, you know, in this new scheme that, that Tennessee's obviously running under a completely new coaching staff, they've been pretty run heavy. But I, I tell you, man, the, the thing – if I'm South Carolina – I'm. I am most. I am most worried about his ability in the run game and what that adds to the mix for Tennessee. It's not just that. Um. Obviously, they have have some solid backs, including, uh, of course, uh, our old buddy Tyon Evans from Hartsville. But the the QB run game. If I'm a defensive coordinator, to me, that would always be what would sort of scare me going into a matchup. And in this case. Hooker rushed for I think 80 yards last week, 15 carries. He's a big part of what they do on offense.
2: He is, and it's something that the coaching staff has, has mentioned. Clayton White during his media appearance earlier this week, very cognizant of that fact. And and man, the reality is, uh, it makes it so much tougher as a defensive coordinator and as a defense, really, as a player. You know, to to be asked to slow down all these different elements of a given offense, and then oh by the way. Now you have to worry about a mobile quarterback too, right? A guy that can pass it. The system makes it difficult, you know, to to defend the pass because they'll spread you out. They'll take deep shots, right, with Josh Heupel's system. Uh, but they've also run the ball. I mean, we've mentioned several times, broken record alert this week, Tennessee actually running the ball at a higher rate in terms of attempts than anybody in the league. And so um, Evans is a big part of that, but Hooker is too. And so South Carolina – I think, Wes, this is this is a potential problem area for them because we've seen them struggle um, and, and have some, kind of some negative signs against the run. And really, you get back at the Troy game, you look at the, the tape of that. There were some struggles at linebacker. There were some struggles in the back end with taking bad angles, missing some tackles, some guys bouncing out of some gaps. Tennessee's going to have the talent on the offensive line and at running back to make that happen then you also have to account for Hooker. And then you may think, okay, you, you get him into third down. Maybe you got a third and six. A lot of teams, you feel like you feel pretty good about the matchup because you've got your pass rushers and you feel like you can go get a stop. Hooker can escape, you know, and, and, and make you pay and get some first downs. Obviously, he can do some design run stuff. So it makes it harder to key on the other skill position players that are on the field, you know, the other five guys of whatever combination that they are on the field, now you have to account for a six, and that makes it tough.
1: Yeah, so we'll, um, as I said, we'll be talking to Austin Price uh, about uh, pretty much – there's a lot of things for us to hit on here, man, just from big picture, new coaching staff, to this game in particular, to Tennessee's progress this year. What can you expect from them offensively? What can you expect from them defensively? Um by the way, do, do we have do you have an invite out to him? I uh, did not
2: have his email address on. Uh, Austin, should, Austin should have his official invite to GC Live right in his inbox. Right. Official
1: GC Live invite has been delivered, so we'll be joined by him hopefully in about four minutes. Austin, um, I don't know, man. Uh, not willing to go on camera with us. I, I guess uh, we'll, we'll have to go the the route of on the phone, but still we appreciate him uh, for his time. Obviously always busy this time of year. So we appreciate that and uh, looking forward to getting some, some insight from him about everything going on in the Tennessee football program. Um, while, while we're waiting on him, Chris, let's talk a little bit of recruiting, man. I'm very curious about this new rule that's going into effect and where we're Sort of still gathering it, Chris. It seems like even the people that are going to be directly affected by the rule don't necessarily know exactly how it's going to be implemented yet. This rule, uh, for those who have not seen it, is that and then simply had to do this, y'all. This was uh, this had to take place, honestly, from a roster management standpoint. But if um, you know, if if a school, South Carolina, for example, has five transfers out, um it used to be like the current iteration of the rules was that that didn't matter. You could still only sign 25 players per class. And that's what you call initial counters. That's the phrasing phrasing that is used. And um, so it didn't matter how many guys you lost. You had 25 initial counters and then the old school way of thinking. And it used to be, you could actually do some little different creative things to oversign um, guys that enrolled. There was when Spurrier was here, guys that, enrolled early did not count as one of the 25 initial counters. You could count them back. And uh, there were some different ways to do things. They closed all the loopholes and it became 25 is pretty much 25. Well, the thing now, guys, is that you have so many people transferring out that, um, you know, even taking 25, 25, 25, 25, and then 25 with a fifth class, because you'd assume there's some red shirts in there that you'd add up to, to 85. Well, A, kids aren't redshirting as much as they once were. Even with the four-game thing, it seems like kids just go play more. And But the big thing is the transfer portal. And losing so many guys to transfer portal, you are not able to replace them. So we're going to talk a little bit about that in today's show, about how um, that is going to affect South Carolina and affect college football in general. But first of all, I see him joining us right now. We're going to try to bring him in. Let's go out to our phone lines. It is Austin Price of VolQuest.com. Austin, uh, appreciate you joining us, man. Can you hear me loud and clear?
0: I can, guys. How are
1: you? We we are great, man. Uh, again, appreciate you as always. I know uh, you joined us last year going into um, that, that season opener, South Carolina versus Tennessee. Um, luckily, uh, that that seems like it was decades ago with everything that's happened since then, but um, uh, how are things going in Knoxville, man? What what's the general feel uh, around the VolQuest Quest message boards right now about the uh, the state of the the Tennessee program with a new staff and and sort of uh kicking a you know kicking an SEC team in the teeth last week?
0: <laughs> well, you know it, it's amazing you know what a good uh, thumping uh, on your side of the ledger will do for you. Um, you know a couple of weeks ago, Tennessee fans are you know, upset they gave the Pittsburgh game away or they felt like they gave the Pittsburgh game away. And then of course, you know, Tennessee's always struggled with Florida. Um, You know, so no one got really been out of shape about that, but you know, to go out last week and beat South or to beat Missouri, the way they did, um, you know, was, was a a pleasant surprise for a lot of all fans. And and they are really excited about it. I mean, they're they're excited heading into this weekend. Um, They feel good about the matchup with South Carolina. And so, you know, I, I think this game is just going to boil down to, you know, who can kind of impose their will. Can South Carolina keep it a low-scoring game? If they do, you know, South Carolina has, has shown they can win those type of games. Tennessee wants to get it into a score fest and, and put up a lot of points. So um, that's something South Carolina has not you know, done too well this year has put up a lot of points. So, you know, who can kind of impose their will heading into this game?
2: Well, awesome. Thanks again, Chris here. Appreciate you joining us, man. Um, so you mentioned lots of points. I want to go back to that phrase. Wes mentioned the Missouri game earlier. I want to back up to that because I think it's relevant to, you know, what we may see this week. Not that – I don't know if any of us are anticipating 60-something Tennessee points. Again, I don't know if you're <laughs> anticipating that. But was there any reason to think that that was coming? I mean, we know that this Josh Heupel offense, based on what he's done in the past at other stops, um, You know, and based on what Tennessee's shown this season, they've shown the ability to put up some points. But did you see 400-something rushing yards and being up so much at halftime? It was kind of an offensive explosion. Did it sort of come out of nowhere last week?
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I think getting to 60. um, It's only the fifth time in program history against an SEC foe. So, yeah, not only anybody expected that, but did they expect them to score points against what's a very, very mediocre to below-mediocre – Missouri defense, sure. I mean, I think a lot of all fans thought they would score in the 30s and 40s um, to put up 45 in the first half and, uh, you know, and really kind of coasted in the second half in a lot of ways. Uh, they were just, you know, more or less trying to get that one to, to triple zeros at the end. Um, you know, I don't think anybody expected them to, to put up 62 points. Um, and, and, again, that's only happened five times against an SEC foe in Tennessee's history, two of the five have been against Missouri, uh, in the last, you know, half a dozen years.
1: Awesome. So, um, obviously, uh, you know, as you said, new scheme, I'm sure guys are getting more comfortable guys are sort of kind of finding their way and what's being asked of them. Um, obviously, you know, Hendon hooker doesn't win the job to start out. Um, he takes advantage of, of an injury situation there with Joe Milton, but, um, you know, I, I thought uh, really has played well. And I, I saw that, that Josh Heupel complimented, you know, his ability uh, to just sort of uh, be efficient and, and not make bad plays and not turn the football over. Um, but also, I, I think if I'm if I'm a defensive coordinator, uh, I'm concerned about the fact that this guy uh, has become a major factor in the run game as well. I think he rushed for 80 yards last week. Uh, what what have you seen out of Hooker so far as far as just him getting comfortable in this scheme and, and how they've been able to use him?
0: Well, I always thought that, that Hendon was hampered in the quarterback battle, um, Wes, because you can't display in a no-contact jersey some of the traits he has as a runner. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and those quarterbacks, you know, they're uber-sensitive sensitive to them. So, like, anytime anybody gets within a couple of feet of them, it's, you know, blow it dead and, and spot the ball and to the next play. So – you know, I always felt like he was somewhat hampered because part of his game is much like Josh Dobbs when he was here is the ability to create and, you know, you know, avoid and the defenders. And, you know, you can't do that in practice. So, you know, I think that, you know, once they've got into the season, they've kind of, you know, found that, you know, hey, he's he's the best option. Um, you know, I, Alex Golish said, the offense coordinator said earlier this week, they were surprised that, you know, his running ability because they hadn't seen that in practice. Well, yeah, he's not allowed to do it in practice. And I mean, did you not watch his tape at Virginia Tech? I mean, you know, I mean, he, he that's what he does well. And so he honestly, I think, throws it, you know, pretty solid. You know, I mean, is he perfect? No. But I mean, like, you know, for what they asked, you know, he, he throws all the throws that, uh, you know, they want. And so. You know, Hinton Hooker started to settle in. He's he's not turned the ball over the last couple of games, and, and that's been a, a nice surprise as you head into SEC play. And I think that's the biggest thing for South Carolina this weekend is can they get Hinton Hooker to turn the football over? He was turnover prone the first couple of games. I think he was even maybe a little turnover prone in fall camp. Can they get him to turn the ball over? Because if he doesn't, then, then Tennessee's offense honestly clicks pretty well. If he does, then things switch around.
2: Yeah, it's a great point, Austin. I think the last uh... – I don't know, last hundred-something attempts for Tennessee, one interception for their quarterbacks, and the Gamecocks picked up in around that same span, nine interceptions. So something definitely got to give there. Staying with the offense, Austin, you know, there's a lot of positive talk about this ball's offense, deservedly so, based on what they've done. Are there any weak links in this this ball's offense, something that, something or some things that they maybe have been some problem areas or that they've not done so well so far?
0: Well, I think depth along the offensive line, uh, Chris, is, is is something that I look at. And then, you know, I just think overall at receiver, I mean, I think they've been a little bit underwhelming there. They've had some drops, um, you know, at times they've, you know, just I thought played a little bit poorly, um, you know, it, They've been better the last couple of games. The rotation has gotten smaller the last couple of games. You know they they're not you're not seeing as many receivers on the field as you did the first three games. So maybe that's the direction they're going. They're going to limit the rotation. They've moved Bayless Jones to the slot, and uh, he seems to be really thriving there. Javante Payton scored a touchdown in three consecutive games, um, and and he th- seems to be thriving. But I would just go on the whole the receivers have been a bit disappointing through a total of five games. And then I think lack of depth on the offensive line is something that Tennessee and Tennessee fans are really worried about.
1: Austin. So, um, uh, the Gamecock fans listening may throw their phone, uh, when they hear me ask this, but, uh, there, there's some guys on this roster that, that Gamecock fans are, are pretty familiar with. Uh, Tyon Evans, I know, had a, had a big week last week, uh, sort of busting out against Missouri Hartsville kid. Um, Obviously, Jalen Hyatt uh, from about 30 minutes from where I'm sitting right now, right down the road at, at Dutch Fork. Um, what, uh, you know, what, what can you tell us about those guys and and sort of how how Tyon Evans has sort of been settling in at running back?
0: Those two seems like they're going in two totally different directions. Jalen Hyatt, his his reps have went down. had um, a couple of drops there early in the year and just seems to have kind of been in a funk a little bit. Did not play many snaps last week. You know, we'll see if he gets more run this week against South Carolina. If there's anybody in the stadium motivated this week, it's probably Tyon Evans. Um, you know, he. I mean, you just anytime you go against your your home state school when you go out of state, you get a little motivated. And I think a lot of kids, you know, and some some are are jilted and they get motivated by that. Some are not. You know, I mean, South Carolina won Tyon. You know, just it's just one of those things where you know he'll probably you know push it in his mind that, you know, he was sliding or something. I mean, like, to, to motivate. So, you know, Tyon's really playing well. He is having a really, really good year. And uh, and you will see him become more of a focal point of the offense going forward. Uh, he was splitting a lot of carries with Jabari Small these first five weeks. But Jabari's been banged up with a shoulder injury. He got re-injured last week. Not sure he'll be able to go on Saturday. And if he can't, then most of the load will go to number eight in uh, black.
2: So let's go to the defensive side of the ball now, Austin. And I think probably coming into this year, correct me if I'm wrong, this is maybe viewed as as the weaker link on on this ball's defense relative to the offense. What have been your assessments of the ball's defense so far? The good, the bad, everything in between?
0: Well, I I don't, to me, the pleasant surprise has been Tim Banks as defensive coordinator. I mean, no one knew. What they were getting with uh, with Coach Banks when he came here from Penn State, he had been the defensive coordinator at Illinois. It was not a very successful run. But not a lot of people had success at Illinois over the years, and so you know I, I think that you know kind of a lot of question marks going in. He did surround himself with some veteran coaches, you know Rodney Garner is getting unbelievable play out of a defensive line that has not been very good. Um, you know, he's just kind of changed the culture in that room. He's flipped the room in a lot of ways. Certain people are gone, new additions here and there, uh, out of the transfer portal. Brian Jean-Marie has done a nice job with what was a depleted linebacking group uh, after the departures of Quavars Crouch and Henry Toto. Um, and then the secondary, Willie Martinez is doing a nice job. And then when you throw in Mike Eckler coaching outside backers, you just got a lot of experience um, on the defensive side of the ball for Tennessee. And so they've got them playing much better than I would have ever imagined. Although, before the season, I thought Tennessee's offense, and I said this a n- number of different places, I thought Tennessee's offense would not be quite as good as everybody was expecting. I think people were just putting this like unrealistic expectations on it. But I also said I thought Tennessee's defense would be better. Than what everybody was thinking, because everybody's thought process was the spring game, which was you know the three of us were playing linebacker for the Vols in the spring, and uh, you know that that's not the case now. And so you know they've they've gotten really solid play out of the the overall defense. Um, you know it it's it's a workman like group, nothing spectacular, but uh, I don't think they're really poor in any any area either.
1: Yeah, and I, I was going to go there, sort of. What are what is the maybe the identity of this defense, Austin? As far as um, what you've seen, or are, are they more? Is it an aggressive group? Is it more of like a um, sit back and and kind of uh, make make the opponent go fifteen plays down the field? What what have you sort of seen them at? You know, with a new staff on that side of the ball, what what is the style of play? I guess I should say on the defensive side of the ball. And are there a couple of guys that have just um, maybe played above their heads, or they've played better than you thought that you think are. Or maybe worth mentioning uh, through five games.
0: Well, it feels like that they are an aggressive type of defense in between the twenties. Tennessee gets a little more conservative when you know when a school drives the field on them, and of course, there's a lot less ground to cover inside the 20s, so they don't have to be as aggressive trying to force a turnover. They can you know kind of set back and see if they can keep the ball in front of them. But they're an aggressive. They're going to bring pressure. They bring pressure from every level. Um and then as far as players that have stood out, you know, Tyler Barron's had his moments, although he's been a bit, you know, nicked up. He's not a hundred percent. Theo Jackson has played really well through five weeks. Um, you know, he he's one of the older statesmen on the defensive side of the ball. Matthew Butler uh had a really strong start to the year for Tennessee, the defensive lineman from North Carolina. So, you know, Tennessee again, nothing, you know, Like, there's just not a superstar, but they have a lot of solid players on the defense that uh, have honestly, I think, been playing a bit over their heads all year that that have kind of helped, you know, give Tennessee a serviceable defense when most people thought coming into the year, oh, they're going to get run through, you know, it's going to be pitiful, and they've been anything but.
2: Yeah, there's some similarities to the South Carolina defense, a parallel there, Austin, with uh, they've got some guys playing above their heads, too, I think, particularly in the secondary it's the same kind of deal before before we dive into the last couple game things on this upcoming game to kind of close the book in our our preview with you to back up to a different area what is the the latest and kind of the the state of the program with Tennessee's recruiting efforts I know that that was a kind of a significant storyline in the changeover from Jeremy Pruitt to Josh Heupel what what have you seen on the recruiting trail from the Vols so far
0: Well, they've actually got what seems to be a normal recruiting weekend coming up this weekend, um, which is a nice, pleasant surprise because I feel like they've had no juice in recruiting the last couple of months. It's just felt like stagnant, you know, Groundhog Day, same old, same old. And, you know, I guess Tennessee finally decided, okay, we're going to – even though it's another noon game, you know, we're going to go all out to try to get kids here. And so, you know, the list that they have coming in this weekend, if they can get 75% of them, they'll they'll have a great weekend. So – Um, these noon games have certainly not helped. Um, and then, you know, again, a lot of schools have used the ongoing investigation against Tennessee because they can, and I don't blame them. If I was Tennessee and a school you were recruiting against had the same thing going on, I'd use it too. I mean, it's just smart recruiting. And so Tennessee can't definitively say, you know, Hey, we know what we're going to get. It's not going to be that bad, you know? And, and so when, you know, schools tell, you know these prospects. It's gonna be three-year probation, four-year probation, bowl ban. You know all this stuff. You know, um, they Tennessee can't definitively say they're not right, but they can't, you know, one way or the other. So, just provides a lot of doubt. So that's to me what's kind of hampered, you know, recruiting in certain ways. And then you know they got here late. I mean, you you factor in, you know, when was Beamer hired? Uh.
1: The- well, he was actually hired the final day of the regular season last yeah, year, so uh, November. Top down against Kentucky. <laughs> so, no,
0: so November.
1: Yeah. So yep.
0: we're at, whereas Josh Heupel was hired literally, basically around the first of February, and then his whole staff mm-hmm. wasn't here until almost the end of February. So like you're talking about three months. I mean, like a lot of those kids were starting to come off the board. You know, that and, and that Tennessee was trying to recruit at least early on. And so, you know, I think they're going to take a swing at some of these kids that have committed elsewhere and see if they can get them to come take a look and and get to know them and that type of thing. Um, You know, I think that'd be smart recruiting if they did. And so, um, I think they're battling some things. Some things, you know, they can't control. Some things they can. And, uh, you know, I, I think they've got a little bit more juice right now than they've had in some time, which... You know, when you cover it, you, the last thing you want to do is cover a team that just has nothing, you know, nothing to talk about. So it's, yeah. it's nice to have a few storylines in recruiting for a change.
1: No, no doubt, man, no doubt. As you said, a another nooner on Saturday, South Carolina, Tennessee. Um, you know, we've we've seen some interesting games between these two teams in the last, I mean, decade plus. Uh, what, what are your what are your storylines to watch, man? Let's dive into the the actual matchups. Uh, you know, what, what are you going to be watching for on uh, on Saturday in Knoxville that's going to sort of maybe swing this game one way or the other, Austin?
0: Well, I, for me, it's, you know, can Tennessee jump out early? You know, I mean, like they did a week ago, they jumped out early and Missouri was done at that point. You know, I mean, they, they when it was 28-3, it was, you know, Missouri just caved. You know, and I'm not saying South Carolina is going to cave because I don't think that's the case, but you know, I think if you can get out early and get to a point where like South Carolina's got to really start to score some points, you know, I don't think South Carolina's got the offense that can play from behind, uh, not not significantly behind. And uh so I think the the first quarter and a half, even the first half is huge for both teams. You know, can can South Carolina stay there, keep it right there, or even have the lead and, and can Tennessee, you know, get the lead and stretch it if they get it. So um that's the biggest storyline for me. And then, you know, does Tennessee fall into the same old traps of penalties and turning the football over if they don't and they continue to play well then uh, you know I think Tennessee's got a good chance to win back-to-back games for the first time this season
2: last one I got for you Austin uh, Tennessee favored in this game according to Vegas also heavily favored I don't know if you've seen this the ESPN FBI last time I checked it almost 80 uh, percent mark in terms of the FBI favoring them to win this game uh, so that may be you know uh, everyone's expectation or many people's expectation, but is it is the the formula for South Carolina to win and and pull an upset in this nooner on the road? Is it just that turnovers, penalties, you know having South Carolina actually consistently score some points or is there another path to get there you think
0: No, I think that's the, the formula, and you know, to be honest with you though i if, if south carolina surprise me at all outside of the, couple, the top couple of teams in college football, there's more parity now than there ever has been. I mean, I mean, you just start looking, at, and, and I know you can't compare scores, okay? But, I mean, when you really kind of just do look at how games have played out this year, like on any given Saturday, any of the middle-of-the-road teams can beat any of the other middle-of-the-road teams, and it's, you know, or, or even like, you know, three through 11 in the conference, 11 could beat three, and it wouldn't surprise anybody like so i mean you know south carolina can definitely win this football game but i just think that they have to win it the way we talked about it. i don't think they they've not shown to this point the ability to score consistently enough to get into a shootout i think that they've got to kind of get this thing in the low scoring affair and if that happens that means they played good defense and tennessee's probably turned the ball over some and you know had some self-inflicted wounds and if that happens then you get in the fourth quarter you know and and have the lead or be right there you know, anything can happen. South Carolina can sure take advantage of it.
1: Austin, uh, great stuff as always, man. Again, we appreciate it. If uh, if the South Carolina fans want to get a little more Tennessee perspective on uh, ballquest.com, uh, what, what are they going to be reading about over there right now?
0: Uh, right now, Brent's got a, a great column up uh, just on, you know, how Tennessee's kind of flipped uh, the momentum of this season. We'll have our uh, war room up tonight with all kinds of good recruiting nuggets. We have our Thursday podcast. That's our mailbag podcast where we take questions and, uh, you know, from the general's quarters. So, you know, if you're a Tennessee slash South Carolina fan, if there is such a thing, (laughs) check it out.
1: Definitely, man. Austin, uh, good stuff as always. Enjoy the game on Saturday, okay, man?
0: We'll do. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Thanks, Austin. Austin Price, Good stuff, as always. Chris, um, anything that surprised you from that interview?
2: You know, I, I, there was one, to be honest. Uh, the the Jalen Hyatt thing, not playing as much, was a little bit surprising just because, admittedly, I had not tracked that as much. Uh, I had to go back and watch... Uh, the Tennessee-Missouri game, and so I was kind of very quickly going through it, you know, so obviously a lot of running plays and a lot of rushing yards in that game. When I turned on the game live over the weekend uh, last Saturday, you know, I saw Hyatt in, I heard his name called, et cetera, so didn't realize he had not been playing as much. Javante Payton, you know, their other receiver he mentioned, uh, I knew was having a pretty good year, but I I was kind of surprised, uh, the second point I'd make, Kind of surprised to hear the positivity around the defense. You know, obviously they had a pretty good showing against Missouri. I think that was in large part because the game was over in I don't know what, the first quarter, if not the second quarter in that contest. Um, they had some struggles against some other teams. I mean, Pitt, Kenny Pickett, Pitt's quarterback, is really good. I mean, he's playing as well as anybody in the country, so surrendering some points to those guys, probably understandable. Uh but it, it seems like You know, there was some positivity around this defense that, despite the fact that they may have some limitations, they've done well in some areas that's, you know, really helped their team. And and there's kind of a parallel there with South Carolina's, you know, team and their defense also, with the caveat that South Carolina, of course, has not been scoring at the same rate that Tennessee has or even close.
1: Yeah. And it's an interesting point from him, man, about uh, Tennessee. You know, can can they jump out on South Carolina early on? That's, you know, to me, that's one of those keys. When I when he first said it, I was like, it's kind of a key to to any game. Like if you jump out quick, uh, yeah, that's that's a good thing for your team. But, um, you know, to his point, uh, I think you look at Tennessee's offense; they have shown an ability to uh, kind of pour on the points at times. And this is not also to his point. This is not a South Carolina offense that has been able to sort of uh, string together a bunch of points and, and sort of, you know, you see some, some offense can have that sort of avalanche effect where, uh, you know, they score and, and sort of overwhelm a team. We have not seen that yet from South Carolina this year. So, you know, I, I think hanging around, you know, even if South Carolina's is down, I think Beamer's group has has showed they, they're not like a group that's going to quit, um, you know, Missouri. And I, I, kind of go back to the question did did that last game tell us more about tennessee or did that tell us more about missouri and and their their defense and and the fact that i don't know i don't want to say they laid down because i don't know but uh, when you give up that many points on your home turf to a team in the same conference like this is not this is not charleston southern trying to take an sec team you know this is two conference teams going up against each other um is the talent differential for Tennessee's offense that different from Missouri's defense? You would think not. So, you know, to me, which, which side did that tell us more about? I don't know. But just the fact that Tennessee showed they can take advantage of that, um, you know, is a pretty good sign for, for their offense. So if South Carolina hangs around, generally we've seen not, not that it's necessarily um, a, a fair comparison. We have seen in the past some of Hypel's offense. Speaking of Missouri, that you know this is this is like the the Missouri offense a few years ago with Drew Locke. Uh, you know Heiple was running that offense for a couple of years, and we've seen them put up huge numbers against defenses that weren't very good. And then play when they play a pretty sound defense that um, doesn't beat itself, um, it's not quite as uh, you know explosive and. Now, the other side of that, South Carolina's defense, you keep mentioning it, man. The fact they gave up some explosive runs and then even some of those just four or five, six-yard gains they gave up against Troy, now facing a Tennessee group that A has obviously better dudes up front, better running back, and a quarterback run aspect, that to me is is probably what scares you the most from, from a South Carolina
2: perspective. It definitely does. Um, you know, Tennessee's offensive line, putting together the star power piece that we run on Gamecock Central every week is kind of a ranking of the past star comparisons of projected starters from each team. You know, I I kind of had forgotten about what Tennessee had on the offensive line. We um, knew last year, you know, I think at one point under Jeremy Pruitt, they had two or three five-star guys starting on that offensive line. And uh, I, I, they're still there actually with two with, you know, you got Cade Mays, you got Darnell Wright, um, you got Jerome Carvin in there. So, there, I mean, there are some good players on that offensive line, the guys with talent that were highly recruited and, all, and also some experience. Then the system can pre- present you some problems, obviously. You got the dual threat quarterback. To me, the number one thing, it isn't any of those, Wes. It, it is Tennessee's ability that they've shown to run the football Um, if you get bounced out of your gaps, if you give them open space, it can be trouble. And we saw a lot of that. So a lot for South Carolina to clean up, you know, from the Troy game to this game. Uh, It's it's a big concern for sure. Yeah, and and going back to what you said about
1: uh, Hyatt, that being a surprise, man, Jalen Hyatt played – I I got the PFF numbers up now. He played 20 snaps last week off the bench. Um, You know, was a starter – actually one game I believe he start, started the opener uh, played 70 plays against Bowling, Bowling Green and then the next week I don't know if he was banged up or if this was coach's decision five snaps the next week 16 snaps the week after he actually played 48 snaps against Florida and uh, then played 20 snaps last week um, in relief against Missouri so um, I, I'm with you that I I sort of, as I was asking the question, I was kind of thinking in my mind, am I about to look dumb because he's been banged up or something that, because I haven't heard, haven't heard him brought up as much this week, but that, that is surprising as much as he sort of started to emerge last year. Um, obviously still a very, very talented kid and, and someone that let's be honest, South Carolina could use on their roster. Um, we'll, we'll see guys. I, I'm, I don't know. I I don't think – the more we talk, Chris, I don't think it's a very favorable matchup for South Carolina from like a literal like matchup standpoint. Tennessee's strengths, South Carolina's weaknesses, um, Tennessee's weaknesses, South Carolina's strengths. I don't think it's a great matchup. But, um, you know, we'll we'll see. I I also – something I did learn, I didn't realize Hooker had turned the football over and had been a little bit more injury-prone prior to – uh these last couple weeks
2: yeah that's true and look that that's to me kind of the key for this game and again you can't be I think we've gone into every single week saying this South Carolina has done well in the turnover department in terms of margin and just straight up just forcing turnovers defensively but you don't want to be relying on that and I think had we not seen more turnovers against Troy which ended up being a win We had not seen that level of turnovers against Kentucky, which ended up being a close loss. You know, that Kentucky game could have gotten certainly a higher margin of victory for the Wildcats. And I think the Troy game would have been even more dangerous than it ended up being, you know. Um, But that said, that is a key. This defense has hung its hat on getting turnovers, um, you know, tightening up in the red zone some, those types of things. Those are going to be key because it's going to be hard to consistently just go out there and say, okay, you're going to limit this ball's offense to 14 points, 17 points. That's going to be tough because with what they've done, with what they're capable of doing, and what we've seen from South Carolina, that's an important point, the matchups here. What South Carolina has struggled with is honestly some of the stuff that Tennessee excels at. And so you kind of throw out a little bit of, well, Georgia is much more talented or is Kentucky really that much better than Tennessee offensively or vice versa? Now, really what it's about is the matchups. And this one is not as favorable for the Gamecock defense, which is why I think, yeah, they got to clean some stuff up. But I think to stay in this game, they're going to have to score on offense. But they're also going to need to force a couple turnovers, which the Vols have, have done better in that department the past couple weeks.
1: So Tennessee so far this year, Chris, 38 points scored against Bowling Green, 34 against Pitt. 56 versus Tennessee Tech, 14 in a 38 to 14 loss to Florida, and then of course 62 last week. I'm going to put you on the spot, which I love to do, by the way. Nice. Um, how many points does South Carolina need to score Saturday afternoon? Not not a, and I'm not even talking about like a, you know. If they score 50 points, they win the game. I'm talking if, if, let's say you just had a crystal ball and you were able to see the exact number.
2: Mm-hmm. How
1: high would it have to be for you to feel like within a reasonable, you know, percentage that South Carolina probably wins the game? How, how many points do they need to score to win this game?
2: That is an on-the-spot question. Um probably I'll,
1: I'll give you a second to to think about it because we've actually already got some folks weighing in. Um Jonathan who has been a, a pretty respectful Tennessee fan that's hopped on. Um he says 30 or more. Travis says 27. Fred says 35. Craig says 28 to 31. Mark says 28. Chris, did you was there a was there a, a number that just popped in your brain when I asked that?
2: Yeah, kinda. Uh, for me, it was it it was that thirty one number, you know. Which can they get there, right? I mean, and, and I think some of it has to do with game flow. Like South Carolina could score less and win the game depending on the game flow, you know. But that's I think what you're banking on is that in some ways Tennessee gets theirs, and if South Carolina scores thirty one points, that they do it in a in a fashion in which Tennessee's possessions are kind of limited. What I mean by that is they don't score South Carolina doesn't score four touchdowns on explosive plays, right? Cause then maybe you're in a shootout. What you would want on that lower end. And I know some people are going 31 points for South Carolina would feel like an absolute explosion right right now. And it would, but if you're getting those 31 points by sustaining some drives, keeping your defense off the field against this ball's offensive attack, that would be kind of the ideal scenario. Um, are there ways that they can win the game scoring less? Yeah. Yeah. But I think getting to that number and doing it in a fashion where you're staying on the field and sustaining drives that's the most likely thing. Now, I think what we have to do is step back and say, can they do that? You know, because we haven't seen it this season, really.
1: Well, we and we have not seen – we've not seen 30 points scored by South Carolina against SEC opponents. Um and I, I don't include Vandy in the SEC, so there's my oh. there's my Vandy burn for the day. But, but in all seriousness, you know, South Carolina scored, what, 41 against Vandy last year, I think, just blew him out. Kevin Harris rushed for like 300 yards or something insane. But um, seriously, against, you know, SEC, normal SEC opponents, what did they score, 28 against Auburn last year in that win? I mean, it, it just – it has not happened. Very much.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's – So, it, it,
1: it, need, it needs to happen. It needs to happen. Um, Ole Miss. Yes, at Ole Miss, Travis. Yeah, I, I was
2: going to say, now, now that defense also didn't count. That was like – I mean, I, seriously, I mean – It
1: gets like an average SEC defense.
2: Yeah, basically. even average. Um,
1: Thirty. Okay, so, and what was the Auburn game? 30-22, to 22? I think that's right. It was an eight-point win. I remember that. Um so y- y'all get the point though. As far as like just an offense act for South Carolina, actually, the offense itself scoring that um, has been tough to come by in in recent years. Not that that's necess- not that any of that is on this current staff. You know, prior to the last four five games, obviously, but um, if South and let, let's say let's say it like that. If South Carolina's offense, so we're even taking away defensive scores, special team scores. If South Carolina's offense. Scores thirty one points in the game, Saturday. You feel relatively good.
2: Yeah, I would. I would feel relatively good. Um, now Tennessee's capable of scoring more than that defensively. I, like I said, or I'll, I'll get back to what I said earlier. It it kind of depends on how you're getting the points. Some people may think that that's silly, right? But if you have thirty one points, four touchdowns, and a field goal, if if you have three lengthy touchdown drives and you're cutting the game down and you're limiting Tennessee's opportunities to get back on the field. South Carolina doesn't want to get in a shootout in any form or fashion. They'll lose a shootout. That's the thing I'm most confident in. Everything about this game, all the different storylines, the thing I'm most confident in is that South Carolina can't get in a shootout with Tennessee because they're not going to win that. They don't have the offensive firepower. So I think it depends on how they're getting the points. Get to 31 points. And yeah, I'd, I'd feel reasonably good about that because if you've done that, odds are you've gotten some stops, right? Odds are South Carolina's not going to score 31 points on five possessions. They're going to need possessions to get there. So I think it's safe to assume that if they could reach a mark like that, I'm not saying that's likely. Y'all. I'm saying that's what, you know, a number that I'd feel comfortable saying they could pick up a win with. Then they've had several possessions above the five that it takes to get to 31 points
1: so johnny ko rambo says uh not sure this has been asked uh who shows up the tennessee who lost at home to Pitt, or the tennessee that manhandled missouri um you know and i i honestly i didn't watch how that game played out uh you know for, for tennessee obviously they they gave up some points in the game but they also they put up some points on offense as well and that that to me, I, I think it it just goes back to that. Um, you know, Tennessee could could be just good enough offensively in the running game that it just simply makes it very hard for South Carolina to keep up. And uh, that that to be would be the the biggest worry from a South Carolina perspective. Tennessee can make some mistakes defensively, but if they go score thirty five points or so, it's just going to be really really hard for South Carolina to win this football game. There was a question earlier I did want to hit, and then we're going to get out of here. Let me go find it. This will be uh, – while I look for it, Chris, you want to tell everybody real quick about Dead Soxie?
2: Yeah, so we're partnered again, uh, GC Live, with Dead Soxie. Fine folks over there have, of course, as you've heard on the show, as you've heard on GC Live so many times, patented no-slip technology, buttery soft feel, men's and women's, dress, athletics, all kinds of socks. Colors, shapes, sizes, and the college line that you see if you're on YouTube up in the top left with the Spur line of socks. You can get 25% off your order, your total order, I'm using the promo code COCKY, C-O-C-K-Y, at deadsoxy.com. That's D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com. So when the show's over, go check out those guys at Dead Soxy.
1: Yeah, let's go out. Uh, Justin Simmons on our promo Gourmet uh chat line here wants to know who decides that and Justin asked that when we were talking about um, Jalen Hyatt earlier not playing as much you know I, I think Justin great question by the way um, it dep- it's kind of a combination of those things but generally it's kind of like a hierarchy I think like the the receivers coach is going to kind of be making those decisions but he can obviously be overruled by the coordinator and the coordinator can be overruled by the head coach. So it's kind of a I mean, don't you think Chris that from like a day-to-day like especially drive to drive there's a lot there's a lot of power for the position coach to be like these are the guys I want to play. These are the guys I'm most comfortable with playing. These are the guys cuz they're working with them in practice. They're seeing everything they do as opposed to part of what they do in practice. Um they're meeting with them. They're seeing who's looking up at the bored the whole time and who's dozing off in the back so i think it starts with the position coach now if the head coach is like hey i want more of this guy we need this guy on the field more then the the position coach better make it happen you know he better you know or then he's going to be you know in some trouble so that that's that's how i would describe it chris
2: yeah and obviously the position coach is going to spend the most time with the guys and it, it even can go down to, you know, the strength staff, you know, I mean, from what, what you saw in the summer, there's going to be conversations on all that stuff and the staff, you know, they have meetings every week and, and I'm talking about just in general terms at every school. So the, the, the position coach and thus the coordinator and the head coach, you're going to kind of know who's trustworthy, who has the best practice habits, who can do the, these particular things well. Um, and you go from there and generally, generally, you know, guys are going to be on the same page with that. The head coach or the coordinator is usually not going to really, really push to play a guy who has bad practice habits, hasn't been producing in games, hasn't been producing in practice.
1: Erland, with a good question here. Uh, Some folks were talking earlier about QBI Mullins. And, um, you know, Erland mentioning that Trayvon Kenyon has sort of passed him. You know, I, I would say to that, Erland, that, you just got to have kind of look at those tight end spots as being two different tight end spots. I mean, um you're right. Kevin Mullins has not seen the field as much as maybe we would have thought this year, but uh, Kenyon is more in there when they're looking for an additional blocker at, at tight end. We, we saw them sort of go heavy um at, at times on Saturday. And especially it actually seemed like they went heavy and then maybe almost used that as a decoy. Chris, I thought they went heavy with multiple tight ends. And then, Went play action off of that, which actually was was very successful. Um, so yeah, that that's what that is. It's not necessarily always that a guy passes another guy because they play the same broad you know position. There there are multiple different skill sets within tight end uh, within the tight end room and within sort of that that global position. Um, speaking of man, did, did you did you notice? Uh, I don't think we hit on this yesterday. Did you notice when Satterfield yesterday talked about the offense and under center versus pistol versus shotgun and how he normally would have liked under center a bit more because it lets his backs get downfield. Like if, if or downhill, I should say, like if he's trying to implement power running game, he wants downhill uh, stuff like that. They would go under center. He doesn't necessarily like shotgun as much because of, um, it's hard to get the angles he, he's looking for. Well, they've tried to – they've shied away from that a little bit because of Doty's foot, and I think I took that to mean just logistically, like the traffic in there. They don't want him to get stepped on again with the footwork required and you being up under center close to the offensive lineman. This little – the pistol look, which we saw South of use a bit of, maybe – gives them the best of both worlds in that. And yeah. Satterfield kind of alluded to that. And Chris, when I look at when I look at two things, the fact South Carolina's a lot of their success in the running game has been on kind of that that outside zone stretch play. And some of their best pass plays have been on either pure just play action or on the boot action where you have like those levels routes. Um, to the outside with somebody flashing underneath in the flat and then kind of an over route over top of that. We've been talking about identity for five weeks now. I wonder if we saw a little flash, as well as Luke Doty throws on the run, a little flash of what could be becoming this offense's identity. I don't don't want to say that's it yet because uh, it, it may be a completely different look Completely different feel on Saturday, but it just seemed like both of those things were pretty successful on Saturday, and both those things actually pair together very, very
2: well. Yeah, and to and to your point, uh, to go back to what Satterfield said about you know the shotgun, to expand on that just a little bit, he said, "Look, it's it's hard to expect a guy like take a zone replay, right." Um, it's hard to expect a guy to be full speed when he's not even sure if he's getting the ball. You know, you have the mesh point of the zone read. He's got the ball. Okay, here we go. Now, the zone read play can be very successful, right? Um, And I think they could have more success running it the more that Luke Doty is able to keep it or he's just establishes himself as more of a running threat. That could happen this season. Luke talked about it the other day. Uh, Satterfield you know kind of alluded to it a bit certainly he looked comfortable Luke did running those boots That, that we saw more of that against Troy than we'd seen you know we saw some other different concepts in this offense for example we saw kind of a a little variation of a kind of pin and pull where instead of pulling two offensive linemen Nick Jones pointed this out to me former Gamecock wide receiver he thought that it was maybe even an in-game adjustment or just something they went to more because their linemen weren't getting around quick enough. They pulled a lineman, and then they used Jaheem Bell as a puller because, obviously, he's quicker. Got those two guys out there uh, later in the game when Kevin Harris was having more success with that. So maybe so. I mean, in some ways, Wes, and nobody wants to hear this, they've kind of had to feel their way through these first few games, right? Because you go into it, you lose your quarterback, now you're adjusting to, to having Zeb no one out there and some different things. The offensive line and maybe some of your concepts are not working how you thought they would for various reasons, right? And maybe some some things are even better than you thought, like Josh Van early in the season produced probably even more than they thought. And so you have to feel your way through it. And that process kind of includes reincorporating Luke Doty's legs more in this offense. And so I think that's a huge key to where if they can keep you know, going more and more towards him being established as a runner, that's going to potentially open up some other things. But that pistol is part of it because it still allows guys, you know, to be able to come downhill um, while, you know, running some of the schemes that they want to run. You know, and I I think um, there there was
1: a play that Luke took off. Um, I think it was design roll to the right going into the uh, student section end zone. It wasn't there, and he just took off running um, after he realized nobody was open, and he got, I think, eight yards. He was a couple yards short. But to me, that was one of the first times this year since Luke has been back that I saw him make the decision, put his foot in the ground, and go try to get the first down. And, I, you know, I I thought that was a sign, uh, you know – Have there been some bad moments that still, I think, concern you moving forward on offense? No question. Again, we try to have nuance on this show. I'm not saying that it's going to just be fixed by any means, but I feel like the offense's just overall potential is going to, just like that, we're going to be like, whoa, Luke's back, very close to 100% as far as the running ability, and it's going to open up a lot of other things. Will that be this week? Will that be week eight? Will that be week twelve? You know, who knows? But I, I think when we see it, we're going to be like, oh, okay, okay. Like it's gonna it's gonna be apparent when it happens. And dude, so I, to to your also to your point with uh, the zone read and, and that stuff. I was talking to a buddy of mine who actually is a former SEC offensive lineman, and um, ran into him the other day, and he says, uh, you know, hey man, what you know what what's going on? with the offensive line. And I said, why are you asking me? I want to know to you what what is going on with the offensive line. And he said, he's like, man, you know, you may not think about it like this, but a lot of people have talked about the complexity of the offense and, you know, just busted assignments and stuff like that um, as far as examples of miscommunications and stuff like that. He's like, it actually probably goes a little bit even deeper than that. If you're not quite comfortable and you're hesitant in what you're doing, um, it's hard to just be forceful and violent and to fly off the football as an offensive lineman if there's that little bit of hesitation about, am I about to mess up, am I about to do this wrong? So he he said, he noticed from the very beginning, even you know against Eastern Illinois – that the guys just looked a little bit hesitant compared to what they were last year, coming off the football, and I think a lot of that does go back to that there there is more and there's more involved in this scheme. There's more different looks. There's more things the line has to do um, in this scheme than a more simplified bobo scheme. So is that something? Again, we've talked about simplifying. Is that something that is? just sort of works its way out, and at some point it clicks. You know, even not to compare it to Steve Spurrier, Chris, the Spurrier offenses when he was here at South Carolina early on and he was running the old school Spurrier offense, I remember those offenses really struggling at times. And then it was like at the end – do you remember the end of the 2006 with Blake Mitchell? That offense wasn't doing anything towards the beginning of the year, and then it clicked and everybody just started – sort of being comfortable and knowing where they were supposed to be. And they were going up on, up and down the field on everybody. So not that you should expect that, but sometimes when the comfort level clicks, it's like a, it's like a slow grind, a slow grind, a slow grind, and then it's just like, boom, it, it clicks. And nobody really knows why it took that long or, or exactly what it is. But But we'll see, man. Also, you mentioned filling out. I feel like they've kind of been filling out the perfect way to use EJ Jenkins as well. And I, I think it, that is such a unique skill set. You don't see guys with that skill set, man. Such a unique skill set. It seems like they maybe have found how to use
2: him. Who was that kid that, this just popped in my head, that Arkansas had um, that was six seven or so? Was it Was it Mark? Yeah, I think his name was Marcus Monk. That's what I want to say. Um, and I'll have to go back. I'm I, I don't want to say I'm even making that comparison, but I, I recall they used him in some in some interesting ways and situations, big big kid. But yeah, EJ Jenkins, I mean, has obviously become more and more comfortable. He had to miss some time. Um, and then just kind of feeling his way into the role has started practicing better as as Beamer and Satterfield both noticed. And it's paid off. I mean, twenty three snaps uh back on Saturday first career touchdown, had a couple catches, and looked good doing it. And so, you know, to have him out there, everybody's going to talk about him as a red zone weapon, rightfully so, uh, but also just have him as a big target, you know, over the middle is something that South Carolina could certainly use because any playmaker right now uh, is something that they need to kind of take the pressure off of that front, you know, and maybe it's going to – we've talked a lot about opening up the passing game, having Luke Doty – become more and more comfortable as a runner, those things could help, right, to unlock some of the other things that this offense has struggled with.
1: You know, I think, Chris, uh, the guy that he – the guy he reminds me of is actually Kelvin Benjamin. And Kelvin Benjamin – actually not – now, Kelvin Benjamin is a tall dude. He's a legit 6'5", a little bit shorter even than EJ. But this guy was playing essentially receiver – at like six, at a true six five, um, not a six three and a half, six five, which some of the guys are, a true six five, 245 pounds. So when um, you know, when, when I saw EJ in person for the first time, I was like, Who does this remind me of? And I could not place it. And then, you know, obviously Chris and I are both Panthers fans. It finally it clicked, and I was like, Kelvin Benjamin. That's who he reminds me of. So we'll see if he can keep built build off of what's happening. Our man Mark here. Mark's been calling for some EJ at receiver actually for, for a few weeks now, man. So shout to Mark. He nailed it. Um we'll see if 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 EJ can build off of it and and kind of go from there, man. But but good for him. Seems like a good kid. Good grief, man. I walked by him, I think I said yesterday, this
2: is a tall human being. He is he is very tall. He is very tall. I, I don't really have anything else to add. I can confirm, extremely tall, especially standing next to us, Wes. Woo. Yes, yes,
1: woo. yes, yes, yes. Um, I mean, are you are you with me on my Kelvin Benjamin comparison or not?
2: No, I, I could I could kind of see it. You know, it's uh, it's a little bit hard. And I know you're not comparing. You know, the, the production level and everything. Kelvin Benjamin was just he's something else. You know, his far in college and even in college. <laughs> In college. Well, and he had some flashes in the NFL, mainly because he played for the Panthers. It automatically makes you a much better player when you play for the Panthers. Um, But uh, no, or worse, probably. But I could see it. I just looked up Marcus Monk, too, and I I now like my EJ comparison for this reason. I looked up two measurements because I couldn't remember exactly how tall he was. I just remembered being like, wow, that guy's tall. One said 6'4", four and one said 6'7". That sounds a lot like the preseason arguments about EJ Jenkins. Where did our man go? Who was the guy that kept that made the bet with us? That was a while back now. What is his name Greg? It was it was Greg. He has disappeared from the show. Yeah, rather than pay his bet,
1: Greg changed his name.
2: That's dedication. He That's he- probably
1: the guy who's hitting the dislike button before the show starts. <laughs>
2: Greg, Greg was so adamant that he wasn't going to pay his $0.27 cents a day, which is, by the way, what it costs to join Gamecock Central. $0.27 cents a day that he was just, nah, I'm out. I'm not going to get any more Gamecocks content. I can't do it. It yeah. just says he went to witness protection. Yeah,
1: disappeared right off the face of the planet.
2: Man. And I hope he's not mad at us because we did kinda we gave him some flack. But we were just joking. It was out of love.
1: Yeah, but I mean he still owes us, so that part's swore, not a good
2: one. He swore EJ was six four.
1: My man is not
2: six four. Maybe we can have Marcus Monk on the show. Uh, he's an he-
1: agent in Arkansas now,
2: by the way. I just learned that. Okay. I mean, come on, and talk about his clients and talk about how tall he is. <laughs> And, and we could show him some clips of EJ Jenkins and see if he thinks there's a comparison. We just settle this once and for all. All right. No
1: let's do it. Marcus, if you're listening, uh, let's do it, man. All right. That's it. That's the end of the show. When we start rambling, that means we need to get off here. He's Chris. I'm Wes. Appreciate the support as always. Uh, hey, tomorrow I'll be live from Market on Main 1 p.m. 1 p.m. kickoff on Friday live from Market on Main. Appreciate y'all. Have a good one.